When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Dave, is it true that Mackie and Judd tried out for the two-man luge team? Uh, almost true. They got so close to trying out, but they could not decide, A, who was going to go on top, and yeah, B, when you see how well Joe and Rook have been doing it for so long, <laughs> why even bother? Plus, we had a mishap. Judd thought he was grabbing the brake. <laughs> It wasn't the break. If you catch my drift, Kenny. I think I do, Phil. Things are very close together. It's the two-man luge. I think I do, Phil. Tom is my partner in today's radio two-man luge. Hi, Tom. 14 made threes tonight. Make it 15. The miscommunication allows the Rockets to get a second chance. Houston has made 20 or more threes in a game six times this season. And they are on track to get to that number again tonight. Harden. Unreal. Harden adds one more three just for good measure. The, the, Bob Mute for three, and why not? Yeah, Let's why just not? make it 22. When you're playing a team like that, you have to come in with an edge. You know, and part of it was we didn't make shots. We, you know, we, we didn't shoot the three well, particularly, in, you know, in the first half. And I thought we had a lot of good plays, and we can't allow that to sap, you know, our energy. And so that was probably the, the most disappointing thing. And it, you know, if we hit a lull offensively, that's when we're going to get in trouble if we don't play defense. Okay, I need. To, we'll get to Wolves in a second. I'm not sure we needed the close-up, high-def, 4K picture-quality shot of the pre-two-man luge pumping before going down the sled there, Tom Pelissero. <laughs> what is happening on TV right now? <laughs> I said this to you before the show. How scared is the guy on the bottom? Yeah. You can't see anything. For so many your, reasons, by Your the way. life is in the hands of the guy on top, even though you're the one, I believe. We've been breaking this down. I believe the guy on the bottom is controlling the brakes. That's a, that's a metaphor for, I think, their entire relationship off the luge course as well. It'd be like if you're in the backseat of an Uber and you're responsible for shifting gears. Yeah. Um, my question is, who is the first tandem that came up with the two-man luge that said, you know what, this thing where we go down a sled by ourselves... This would be way better if you sat on top of me the entire time. I can't think of any other Olympic event that involves an apparatus. They just go, you know what? What if we put a second guy on? Yeah. <laughs> like Sean White, that wasn't cool enough, you doing the 1440s. Let's put a second guy on the board. And see what happens. He can hold your waist, and uh, and and you can you can initiate the forward movements. He'll initiate the backward. Anyways, we'll get into ton of, tons of NFL stuff. Tom Pelissero, now NFL Network, uh, fresh off of flight last night. So we'll get into a, a ton of stuff. But just the beginning of this soundbite again. I was at Target Center last night. Here's Tom Thibodeau. When you're playing a team like that, you have to come in with an edge. 
you know, and part of it was we didn't make shots. I'm going to pause that right there. I think what he meant to say is, instead of coming in with an edge, how about coming in with better math? This is a tour through the box score last night, Wolves and Rockets. It's not hard to figure out what happened. The Rockets bench alone, alone, the bench. So forget about Chris Paul, forget about James Harden, one of the best players in the NBA. Their bench knocked down 11 three-pointers. They turned to their bench and say, all right, Ryan Anderson, you're going to knock down six three-pointers tonight. Uh, the Wolves' entire team hit six threes, and it took them 23 attempts. It's not hard to figure this out. It's not a, like you're not going to hold them to 95 points. If you can't shoot threes and you can't at least go toe-to-toe in the arms race, you're not going to win that game against the Rockets, and that was foreshadowing for what's probably going to happen in the second round of the playoffs, either against the Warriors or against the Rockets. That's also the identity of the Rockets. It's the identity of every Mike D'Antoni team that he's coached since Denver in the late 90s, which is they're going to they're gonna shoot a ton on the outside. They're going to run. They're going to try to outscore you and outgun you. Rockets shoot 43 three-pointers a game. That's a lot. Is that replicable when you get into the postseason? Not just against a team like the Timberwolves, but if you end up facing the Warriors. Can you count on that being there? I mean... Not all these were wide-open threes last night. There were some contested shots that they're hitting. After the Wolves cut it to, what, four or five-point deficit at the end. You see that, and you're saying, okay, yeah, there were some more things. You could have gotten more energy. You could have gotten something out of Andrew Wiggins. But you're probably taking your chances that they're not going to hit five threes in a row to put you away in but the fourth the thing, quarter. Like, you know, so we were uh, – there was, like you said, five minutes to go, and the game was pretty close. It was like a five-point game. The Wolves cut it from ten to five, and right. there was a timeout. And I remember we sat there and said, okay, should we, like, it'd be nice to beat the rush if this thing gets out of hand. Let's let's see what happens in, like, the next couple minutes. And as we're having the conversation, step back three, corner three, and here's another step back three. And then three. let's go to Andrew Wiggins in the left corner, brick, wide open. There's not a defender within 15 feet, and he hits the side of the yes. air. Yes, in fact, that's a good segue here. Uh, uh, instead of me just teeing off on Andrew Wiggins, I'm going to try and show restraint this time around. I'm going to try and show restraint. And now let's see how long Phil Mackey can keep his composure. Oh, God. Listening to the latest Andrew Wiggins box score. All right. All right. I've got the numbers here. I'm feeling pretty calm. I'm I'm fine. I'm at peace with it. You know, it wasn't that bad. He did have a steal. Got a blocked shot. Only one turnover. Uh, Andrew Wiggins played... 40 minutes and 39 seconds, more than anybody else in that game. Hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm fine with this, Dave. Okay. Um, let's see. Oh, we made three of four free throws. That's good. Yeah, you're not going to get me. Was, I do this every time the Wolves play. You're not going to get me this time. Two of 14 from the field. That's a robust 14%. Uh, he was 0 for 12 at one point, I believe, hit his last two shots, but you're not gonna uh you're not gonna push me off the edge. He grabbed three rebounds in his 40 minutes and 39 seconds on the floor. That's as many fouls as he had right. and three more of All the right. assists because right. he had zero. All right. Uh and I as I scroll through my Twitter timeline here, well, but hey, everyone has off nights. The guy averages almost 20 points per game. He's still young. Hey, he scores 20 points per game. If I have to hear Andrew Wiggins' points per game average one more bleeping time, well, hey, how many 23-year-olds average? It's about efficiency, not volume. In fact, if you took the entire league, every every player who's starting caliber or in a rotation, so take, take every team's top eight or nine players, 
80% of them could score 18 points a game if they took enough shots and wanted to, or if their team empowered them to take enough shots. The game has a time limit. There's a limited number of shots. Your goal is to maximize the amount of shots you take and score the most amount of points. That's what, here's another tour through the box score, okay? Why the Rockets are so good. The Rockets and Wolves took the same number of shots last night. The Rockets scored 20 more points because they maximize the amount of shots they hoist. Andrew Wiggins is one of the least efficient players in the entire league. And last night it was on full display and his laziness. He's like, he's like napping during timeouts, yawning when they walk back on the court. And at halftime, he played more minutes than anyone else. Either team had zero points, one rebound and zero assists. What are you doing? He's had a negative value over replacement every season of his career. Yes. And by the way, that max contract extension hasn't even kicked in yet. He's going to make an average of 25 to $30 million per year on this next contract starting next year. Absolutely ridiculous. It's like in the NFL. We were talking about this before the show. Well, hey, he throws for 275 yards. Okay, did he throw it 50 times or 30? Because I need to know. It's a timed game. There's a limited number of plays you can run. Are you, are you averaging nine yards per throw or five? There's a big difference. Are you effective field goal percentage is the best way to measure or give credit for maximizing your shots. Andrew Wiggins, after last night, out of 275 qualified players, ranks 221st in the NBA. Don't tell me 20 points per game. It takes him 83 shots to get there. And last night was maybe the worst game we've seen him play in two years. Wake the bleep up, dude. And by the way, Jim Suhan, that's the first time I've seen a columnist tee off on him in four years. So bravo, other people catching up on the fact that he's stealing money and will steal more starting next year. The disappearing acts are slightly reminiscent of Latrell Sprewell when he was a part of the Core Wolves roster. But with Spree, those primarily happened during day games. Free was not pro, and he didn't want not want the Speedo one p.m. Like in the daytime. The one p.m. Sunday <laughs> tips were not kind to Latrell Sprewell. He was a much more efficient player overall. If you look yeah, at that Wiggins, floater was very efficient off the back iron every time. All the advanced stats, take those for what you will, but every advanced stat says Andrew Wiggins is a below replacement level player. Yeah, which is startling for the amount of money that they've committed to him. Well, think about it this way too. Okay, if you're on the court. And it's early in a game and your shot's not falling or you're just like whatever the defensive matchup is getting to you and uh, you're just not able to get to your to your 10 points in the first half. Do something else. Do something else. Use your athleticism to get five assists to get an open look for a Jeff Teague or a Carl Anthony Towns or somebody. He stands in the corner and if he's and if he's not making shots, he does nothing else in the box score. I mean, think about it this way, too. James Harden, and and James Harden, I think, is even more uh, athletically gifted than Andrew Wiggins. But if James Harden's shot's not falling, guess what? He's going to get a triple-double. All right, tonight's not my night to score 30. So I'm going to get nine rebounds, and I'm going to dish out 13 assists and get everyone else involved. It's not that hard to figure out. Effort, energy, Act like you want to be on the court. Act like you're engaged with your job. What makes you more upset? Everything you just said or the fact that he was still gifted 41 minutes, even though 10 minutes into the game, you could see it was going to be an awful, awful, awful night. Yeah, he played. You say he played more minutes. You had the box score there, right? More minutes than any other Wolves player. Anyone on either team. God. He was minus 25 when he was on the court last night, too. Plus minus. How was that? And then do you have the rest of the guys? So he's minus 25, right? So the rest of the starters must have also been, wait, they weren't. 
Towns was, I think, minus four. Gibson was the best. Was like Only a plus. one in positive, yes. So you're playing mostly with those guys. So what the hell happened when you took away the safety blanket of the other good starters, and now it's just you and the bench? It's like a minus 30. So what's your solution? Because that's 40 minutes now that you've got to distribute to who? Well, I think the solution is more, more like 30,000-foot solution. When his contract kicks in... I don't think if, – well, imagine imagine this. If there were legit conversations between the Wolves and the Cavs last offseason about Kyrie Irving and you didn't put Wiggins on the table and you could have landed Kyrie Irving because, oh, Wiggins has potential and we're going to sign him to a max contract, how fast would you like to go back in time and reverse that train of thought? If you could have landed Kyrie Irving and then figure out what to do with Jeff Teague after the December uh, six-month – I think you have to wait till December to trade Jeff Teague you could have traded him. But I so mean, you're this, thinking the value is there in a trade scenario. And again, we're talking... I don't think so anymore. Looking out in the future. Exactly my point, which Not is the amount, and the amount that teams look into analytics and analyze it. He's young enough that you're thinking the right coach, right system, right motivational factors, you can get something more out of him. But you're not looking at him as being, this is the missing piece. If you're the Cavs, you're thinking this might actually deter. This oh, might actually sure. detract from what we're trying I mean, to do. I mean, you'd have to find a team, a rebuilding team... You know, like the Sacramento Kings or a team like that, the Los Angeles Clippers who just traded Blake Griffin. Someone that has two or three years and they're willing to go from age 23 to 25, 26 with him to see if he can be a late bloomer like a DeMar DeRozan. Or, you know, there's there's other players who maybe took a few years. Jimmy Butler took a few years. But uh, I'm sorry, look at the demeanor of Jimmy Butler on the court. Look at his absolute willingness to play both ends for 48 minutes every night. Wiggins doesn't have that. He doesn't have like when he walks on the court, you can see it in a guy's eyes. And you, I mean, you covered the NFL for the last fifteen years. Like there's some guys who just are more interested in the lifestyle and the money they make. And it's really nice to be a skilled player who makes twenty million dollars a year. Do you really want to dominate games? Do you really want to be the best player in the NBA, an All Star every year? Legacy? He clearly doesn't care about that stuff. And the Wolves are going to pay him to be one of their top two or three players for the next five years. So I, you, you almost have to find a team that still sees upside, that still sees, well, hey, if we just mold him, maybe he can get to this level, but is also willing to pay him a max contract for the next five years. It's a really tough situation. They're still going to make the playoffs. I think they're going to win in the first round, and I think he's getting better in certain areas. And last night was like the lowest of the low points, so it's easy to pick on him. But, man, are you going to beat the Warriors or the Rockets the next two or three years with that albatross of a contract and that effort? No. That playoff picture is awfully compacted, too. It's not as if it's a given that the Wolves are on their home floor to open up a first-round playoff No, series. I mean, the Spurs, if they get Kawhi Leonard back, the Spurs might still stay above you. Um, I mean, they're going to be a playoff team, but it's, you know, there's like you said, there's no guarantee they're the three or the four seed. They could play on the road as a six or seven seed. Wolves-Spurs round one? I know who a I'm four taking. Four or five? Wow. If Kawhi's out, I might still lean Wolves, but boy. Good luck with that. We can, we can work out a side bet on that. I wouldn't bet a lot of money. I wouldn't <laughs> bet a lot of money. Tom Pelissero is hanging out with us from NFL Network. We're going to dive into his football mind throughout the show. Get thoughts on John D. Filippo, the Vikings' new offensive coordinator. What the Vikings will or should or may do at quarterback. And Judd's out, so Judd's on vacation. But the Wild played last night. And we're going to give you thoughts. What Judd would have said about the Wild game last night, very shortly. Doogie with a scoop at 1230 as well. Let's first talk about the best car dealership and service department in the Twin Cities. It's Luther Brookdale Toyota, right on the corner of 694 and Brooklyn Boulevard. 
And I'm telling you, if you haven't had a test drive or if you haven't heard much about the new 2018 RAV4, so we still have another at least, let's say, month or maybe even two months, depending on what happens in March, of winter conditions here. Slick roads, cold temperatures. You want that safety of having a car and a service department that you can rely on. Well, the service department aspect is really easy because... You know, I can, you know, my family and I, we vouch for this for 30 plus years. These people are the best in the industry. These people are not only knowledgeable, but also quick thinkers on their feet. If there's a problem to be solved, you don't have to worry about it yourself. Lean on the people at Luther Brookdale Toyota. With the RAV4s, you get spaciousness with an SUV, handling. You also get great gas mileage for an SUV and some of the best safety features of any vehicle in the world. Luther Brookdale Toyota, 694 on Brooklyn Boulevard and LutherBrookdaleToyota.com. Mackie and Judd now continue. Here comes the life of the party. On 1500. Corrupting the minds and the hearts of our children. ESPN. Curling. Skeleton. The Nordic Combined. It's time to break down sports we see once every four years. It's Winter Olympic Talk with Mackie and Judd. And now we go to the Tandem Luge Update Desk with Tom Pelissero from NFL Network. The Ukrainians were in some pain. That's, that's my full analysis. This is the beauty, I think, and part of why people get into the Winter Olympics or the Olympics in general, which is... There's no way you're ever sitting down and watching doubles luge outside of once every four years. But you can instantly watch it and tell, oh, man, this is going poorly. It's not as if, you know, it's so subtle, right? Some some events like snowboarding, if you didn't have somebody giving you the play-by-play and saying this is worth technically more, you know, you'd, you'd have some problems. But like figure skating, someone falls, you know that's bad. We're sitting here watching the doubles luge, and you know when they start banging into the walls <laughs> that the guy the guy controlling the direction of the sled has really blown it here. If somebody were to invite one of you guys to a doubles luge party on the weekend, like what would your reaction be? You know, you go, hey, you guys want to go skiing on the way? I'll go to a cabin, go skiing this weekend. Uh, hey, what say we go ice fishing on Saturday? Bring some beers out and uh, have some pistachios. Hey, who wants to go uh, to a doubles luge gathering on Sunday morning? Phil, do you know how fast we would die? Well, that was a discussion we had yesterday about these alpine skiing hills. So so Dave skied when he was a kid, mm-hmm. but it's been like 20 years. I skied a few times in Phi Ed class. Judd, it's right. kind of the same, right? And I know you're more of a skier, right? In fact, weren't you skiing like last weekend? No, you had me confused with someone else. You ski? <laughs> I thought you were skiing on your Instagram. I'm Tom. Hi, Phil. I know we haven't I still haven't ski occasionally. Maybe you're thinking of that. I've skied twice in my life. Okay. Both at elementary school trips to Buck Hill. And I have a vivid memory of not being able to stop and crashing into a wooden, like the two-board fence that they have at the bottom of the hill and just going full bore into it. See, and so, that was it. So that's our question. I was done. On these Olympics, so with, with that level of skiing experience in our lives, if somebody were to put you at the top of the 2,700 foot, that's how, that's how from the top of the Alpine, the minute and a half course on these uh, Alpine events to the bottom, it's a minute 19 seconds and it's 2,700 feet and it's basically glare ice. If someone were to just push you out of the gate with skis on, could you do it? Without dying is the question. Like, no. would you survive? And I think the answer is no. 
I, w- I wouldn't even attempt it. The moment you would build the slightest shred of confidence, like, oh, this is going okay, that's where you go straight into a 90 tree. degree turn. Yes. Yeah. No, if you, if you allowed me to crawl slowly down the hill, <laughs> there's a possibility I could stay under control enough that it would not end extremely poorly. You were asking how fast are the doubles losers going? It's like 80 plus miles 80 an hour. miles an hour. Mm-hmm. Just banging against the side of the, whatever you call that thing, shoot? Is it a shoot? I don't know. A slide? A shoot? Are these the Americans? No, these are the these are Slovaks or something. There's a lot of people at this event. It's a small venue, but it doesn't sound as hollow as uh, at figure skating or even the ice hockey that we had on this morning. I would find it hard to watch if you're a railbird and these guys are going 80 miles an hour on uh, on a downhill course. You know, if you think watching tennis is hard back and forth, how would you stand on the rail and watch luge 80 miles an hour? I don't know. It's amazing to me. Uh, by the way, there was a hockey game last night. Instead of us providing our thoughts on Wild versus Rangers, Wild took a 3 nothing lead and then sort of clung to... Uh, they had a 3-1, then 3-2, and then clung to life in the uh, third period. So Judd's out. But this is what Judd would have said. The Wild won last night, but Judd Zolgad's not here to complain about it. How would this latest victory not have been good enough in his mind? Let's find out. Let's turn to the Here's Judbot 3000. With, here's my problem with the Wild. The problem is this. This team simply cannot put a complete game together for three periods. There's always one period where they play like absolute crap. Yes, the Judbot 3000 will be providing hockey takes for uh, the duration of the show here. Uh, what else in that game last night? So it was a 3-2 victory, and you know things got dicey, but it is a couple points. I don't know how Boudreaux does it. Honest to God, to have to watch that entire second period, you give up 19 shots. I honestly have no idea how he doesn't just kill the entire group. <laughs> wow, that's a, that's pretty aggressive. <laughs> it's is very it, accurate, though. Is, uh, is the Judbot 3000 into, into Pippins already this early in the morning, downtown Chicago? Here's the issue with this team. You're at home, against the Rangers, who are a bad team. You take a 3 to nothing lead, which you should. Good for you. Now it's time to step on their throats. Not let them get back in the game like this bunch of dogs always does. <laughs> All right. That was, <laughs> that's the Judbot 3000 chiming in on last night's Wild versus Rangers game. He already actually, the actual Judd did text me almost those exact same thoughts too unprompted. <laughs> he, Rangers gifted the them three goals with bad turnovers and the Wild just played like absolute crap. Lucky to get out of there. Oh my God. Hey, I think they're in playoff position right now though. So it's uh, it's all good. Good bounce back after that blown lead against, against Phoenix. That is the best part about Judd. I think there's nothing the Wild can do that would get him to pray. When you get to that point with a team where there's just like they could win six to nothing over the Sidney Crosby led Penguins and vault themselves into third place in the Western Conference. And he's still so mad about the last five years. And I'm kind of with him. I'm to the point where I almost root for the team to lose so they get better draft picks, but they're probably going to make the playoffs <laughs> as like a seven seed. See, I root for the team to win to stay at least relevant so I can see Judd melt down. Right. <laughs> exactly. Um, tweets are coming in about Andrew Wiggins here. Back to our opening bell. Tom Pelosero is hanging out with us. TCL Broadcast Studios. Um, I people keep citing like d- Andrew Wiggins' offensive and defensive net ratings. Like Matt is a loyal listener. 
when he's on the court, they're actually better. But that's more of a testament to how bad their bench can be at times, too. Like, Bielitsa was out for a while. They have, like, an eight-man rotation. Just forget about numbers and forget about analytics. Watch the game with your eyes. And I think, like, so part of Tom's job is you talk to NFL evaluators on a regular basis. And you talk to GMs and front office people. Sometimes with players, I think, and I'm a big numbers guy, I think you have to run human element past numbers and see what the intersection is. When I see a guy walk onto a field or a court or or an ice rink, and he just looks like not only is he dragging the energy down of everybody else, but there's 50 seconds to go in a game, and it's tied, and the arena's going crazy, and there's 20,000 people, and this is your livelihood, and you're yawning and loafing. That matters to some degree to me. It probably matters more to other people because I'm not as much of a body language guy, but you can't tell me body language doesn't matter with athletes. No, it absolutely does. I mean, talk to any quarterbacks coach about the way that they look at the person going into the huddle. I actually talked with uh, with John Filippo about this during Super Bowl week. And I asked him, do you believe in the value of body language? And he said, absolutely. We coach out bad body language because you know that that's a unique leadership position on the football field. Everybody's going to take their cue, not just your teammates, but the coaches, the fans, it's going to make a difference in terms of the overall vibe. That's part of the reason that Case Keenum kept getting jobs even when he was not the Case Keenum we saw in 2017, which was he had moxie. He had something to him when he got in the huddle. No matter what the situation was, people tended to believe in him. Jay Cutler is a classic example of bad body language guy. Some people are going to say that doesn't matter. Even Adam Gase, who defends Cutler on a lot of different angles, I spoke with him about this right after Cutler signed back in August, and he told me, you know, when they were looking at him, the Dolphins, and evaluating him, going back to Chicago, where they had worked together before, he spoke with them about it. Just said, we need to do certain things differently, because everybody's reading this, your shoulders being down, whatever it might be, they actively worked to try to get some of that out of his body. Again, not because teammates were being impacted by it, but everybody else and the questions it created and the overall vibe of the team, they wanted him just to look a little bit different. So absolutely. I don't care what the sport is. If you're, especially if you're the guy, if you're somebody that people are going to be looking to, to make a play, that doesn't mean everybody's got to be the alpha male rah-rah type of a leader. That's just not the the personality of everybody, but there better be something in terms of presence to you and being in that moment that guys are going to believe that you're not going to be the liability that costs them a game. I think presence is the key word there. It doesn't, it doesn't, not everyone has to be Tim Tebow, right? Rah, rah. And Tim Tebow is a great example in the NFL, not in college, but in the NFL of he's got all the rah, rah presence, leadership. Um, he checks all those boxes. Can't throw a pass, like can't complete a pass, 45% completions. If you have both, you're Jimmy Butler, you're Carl Anthony Towns, you're Kobe Bryant, you're Tom Brady. Um, Carson Wentz, I think, is is going down that path. Let's come back and keep this conversation going. You brought up John DeFilippo. Uh, would love to tap into what you know about the Vikings' new offensive coordinator, what people say about him, maybe some of the experiences that other quarterbacks have had with him. Pelissero from NFL Network in with us. It's Mackie and Judd in the TCL Broadcast Studios. Phil Mackie, Judd Zolgad. They seem to have really unusual names. Mackie and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Here's my problem with the Wild. The problem is this. This team simply cannot put a complete game together for three periods. There's always one period where they play like absolute crap. I don't know how Boudreaux does it. Honest to God. To have to watch that entire second period, you give up 19 shots. 
I honestly have no idea how he doesn't just kill the entire group. All right, thank you. Uh, thank you to the Judbot 3000 filling in for Judd's Hockey Opinions. Tom Pelissero is here from the NFL Network. And the Vikings have a new offensive coordinator, Tom, John Filippo. And yeah, you were talking about uh, we were, we were talking about Andrew Wiggins and body language, and and you brought up John DeFilippo's name as a guy who actually coaches out bad body language in quarterbacks. What a do you think it's a good hire? Uh, you know, B, what else can you tell us about John DeFilippo behind the scenes, things, anecdotes that you've heard around the league? I think the Vikings got a highly motivated individual in John DeFilippo. He's a guy who. It's well-known. He has a plan. He wants to be a head coach. He's taken meetings for years, set up meetings with potential GM candidates to talk about his plan. Very organized, very focused on that singular goal of eventually being a head coach. For some people, that rubs him the wrong way, that he's looking ahead versus being the quarterback's coach of the Eagles. Obviously, didn't hurt the Eagles. They developed Carson Wentz. They got Nick Foles ready to play. They did a hell of a job in yeah. Philadelphia this year. Some people think that it's it's politicking. There's other people who I've talked to who think that, you know, who cares? Because this guy is, he's genuinely very passionate about what he does. He's smart. He is well-respected. One anecdote I heard from somebody who worked with him in Oakland, and this goes back years, was... Everybody realized very quickly after Al Davis drafted Jamarcus Russell that this was a disaster and it was not going to end well for anyone. And Dee Filippo was the one guy there who was like, okay, Jamarcus Russell, like, I'm going to get him to play the best football he's played. If you look back at Russell's statistics, it's a low bar, but he did have his best season with Dee Filippo there. That, that's sort of it is he's very energetic. He's fun to work with. He, he is passionate. And, you know, largely he knows what he's he's doing. I shouldn't say largely. I mean, everybody believes he's really good at what he does. Doesn't have a huge track record as an offensive coordinator. May not be there that long, but if the trade-off is he's there one year and gets a head coaching job, that probably means that your offense was really, really good. Yeah, I think, um, you know, go back to the Oakland days. If I'm not mistaken, he's worked with, and this is, a, this is another name to watch. We brought his name up in the Vikings quarterback uh, search. He's worked twice, including in Oakland and Cleveland, with Josh McCown. And uh, Josh had, I believe, his second-best season ever, passer rating-wise, with Cleveland when Filippo was the offensive coordinator in 2015. So if you're looking at just resumes and, you know, there's all kinds of things that you can't quantify on a resume, like leadership and his ability to teach. I like what I hear about attention to detail and the 30- to 40-page you know, quizzes he delivers with fun trivia at the end on Fridays. I like that type of stuff. But if you're just looking at how good were the quarterbacks and or what did those quarterbacks do as young guys in their development process under John Filippo, Derek Carr as a rookie in 2013, whatever year that 14. was. 14. Um, McCown's best season as a veteran in Cleveland 2015, or second best. He had that season with the Bears that was pretty good too. And then, you know, whatever credit you give to John Filippo for Carson Wentz and Nick Foles the past couple of years, like that's that's a pretty good resume and that's and and that probably bodes well whether it's Teddy Bridgewater or whether it's Case Keenum whoever you plug in there if it's a sort of a questionable is he a starter is he not backup type, but I think it points to Bridgewater even more. That's that's my, my thought is Bridgewater, I mean the floor is yours here. You you tell me what you know what you're hearing, but 
I think there's an appeal to pairing John Filippo, keeping Kevin Stefanski, and giving Teddy Bridgewater a real shot in training camp if I'm in the brain of Rick Spielman. If you're in the brain of Rick Spielman, you have a lot of questions about Teddy Bridgewater. I think inevitably, because he just hasn't played. He played six snaps this season. He's played six snaps total for absolutely over the past two years. Coming back from a major injury that not many guys have made their way back from. You know, is his mobility ever going to be the same? Is he going to be able to continue to develop? We talked about this, I remember, a couple of months ago. He, he ended up with this romanticized idea that Teddy Bridgewater was a top-five quarterback in the NFL when he went down, and there he was the missing piece. Plug him back in. The moment he was activated, people wanted that. The reality in the building was they didn't know, and they're not going to know because there's a huge jump from practice to actually playing in a game. So to say that you're going to invest in him as the future, you're not going to give Teddy Bridgewater a long-term contract. He's probably in a situation for him, too, where – so one-year deal, backup type of money with upside if yeah. he ends up playing. Get into a preseason game first. Put that on film for for yourself and for teams. But you can't even do that because you're going to have to sign the guy in March. No, so I know. it's, it's I mean, a for really, him, like get a, get a one-year deal and play in a preseason game and then see what happens. He needs to get out there and actually play football again, and then people can make their own evaluations. There's nothing to evaluate right now. The only team that really knows what Bridgewater is or isn't is the Vikings, mm-hmm. because at least they've seen him in practice. Nobody else has access to that film. You can put him through a workout, but it's a lot different to show him dropping back and throwing. We've seen him do that in warm-ups and practice. What we don't get to see is what does he look like against the rush? What does he look like when things break down? Can he get inside and outside the pocket? And Sam Bradford was active for the postseason, not Teddy Bridgewater. I'm not saying that's a death knell to Bridgewater's career, that something went wrong. It just shows you they were more willing to bet on the guy who at least had played football during the 2017 season versus the guy who had not. I don't know that you get indications from the John Filippo hire about who the quarterback is going to be. I certainly think that if you look at the system that Filippo may want to put in, which I'm sure is going to be an extension to a degree of what they did last season with Pat Shermer because there are a lot of positive things that they did. And you do have carryover with the staff, with Kevin Stefanski still there. Filippo coming in, he's not going to be so crazy to think, let's install an entirely new system. Let's go a completely different direction. Yeah. With a team that was pretty darn good offensively last season. The Vikings planned to seek input from the offensive coordinator candidates. A lot of the guys they interviewed had quarterback backgrounds, whether it was Sean Ryan coming from Houston, Daryl Bevel, who, for whatever reason, Bevel gets kicked around a lot, but people forget that in 2012 when he had Russell Wilson, he had to invent an offense for Russell Wilson, and he did that and got Wilson by the end of that season playing so much better the way he got him out of the pocket you know, overcame some of the things in terms of the height limitations and the struggles that he was having early on in the pocket. They were incorporating zone read before anybody else was doing that in the NFL. Bevel did a lot of uh, smart stuff, and he was another candidate for the job. You know, they also talked to Dan Campbell. I know that was in part because he had the connection with Bill Parcells down in Dallas. Campbell's going to be a head coach at some point. He was in the mix again in Indianapolis uh, when they went back through their second hiring process and ended up with Frank Reich. Point is, they got Filippo for a lot of different reasons. They know they're getting somebody who is really, really motivated to make the most of this. He is genuine in terms of how locked in and passionate he is. And he's regarded as a really smart coach. In terms of what that means for the quarterback position, there's so many variables because there's so many questions about all the quarterbacks that the Vikings potentially could have, both the in-house guys as well as external candidates. 
And the quarterback market is pretty fascinating right it now. Is, and yeah. you're seeing some reactions in terms of the way that people are willing to pay certain quarterbacks that may not have happened a couple of years ago. So I want to go back to what you were saying about Bridgewater, because I, I find this interesting. I think if Kirk Cousins comes at a reasonable price, which you know define reasonable, you know, the market twenty five million a year? Is that reasonable in your mind for twenty five is much more reasonable than than thirty million, which is another number that you've heard floated throughout the last few months. You are worth what somebody is willing to pay you. Correct. A good lesson for everybody in society. And there's two quarterback starved organizations with a ton of cap room in the Jets and the Browns. But on Teddy Bridgewater, I'd love more information and maybe you can provide it on how much the Vikings still believe in that there's something there in the future. Because if you want to keep him around and if he has options as an unrestricted free agent and he wants to at least get into a situation where he can have a shot at a starting job, if you sign Kirk Cousins, I think that means you probably say goodbye to the Teddy Bridgewater experiment. Teddy probably wants to say goodbye at that point. Correct. Because he knows he's not going to get the opportunity. But if you want to leave the door open for Teddy Bridgewater 2018-19, he's still only 25 years old, you could get away with that if it's a Case Keenum on a franchise tag or a Josh McCown who's 39 years old. You can't get away with that. You can't have Kirk Cousins as your franchise quarterback, highest paid guy in the league maybe, and cling to the Teddy Bridgewater future. So I, I I almost think the conversation starts with how much do you want to keep Teddy around for the next year or two? What do I, you think? I don't think it can start there. I don't think anybody, if you're a general manager or a coach in the NFL, you're playing the percentages with a lot of these things, right? You're thinking, you're trying to think short-term as well as long-term. If you're the Vikings, you're in the NFC Championship game. You're thinking we're a piece or two away from being a Super Bowl team, right? If you don't have the worst defensive game you played the entire season, Mm -hmm. if everything doesn't go to hell, if you don't have that turnover, they came out, they scored early on. I mean, they were in that game in the first quarter, and then there was just a sequence of events that completely gutted them. The crowd got into it, and you could just feel everything slipping away from them. You're thinking you're not that far away. You're not going to have the starting point at the most important position be the unknown. You're not thinking, what are we going to do with Teddy? Now what are we going to do with everything else? And I say that as somebody who is acutely aware of how much everybody in the Vikings building loves Bridgewater as a person. Zimmer, first and foremost. The front office loves him. Teammates love him. I mean, he is a guy that people rally around in that building. He was around when he was doing his rehab. He was a a positive influence in the locker room, even when he was not playing. But you still don't know what you have. So is it a combination of Bridgewater and you're going to draft a quarterback? There's all these different avenues you could go down but I don't think you're saying okay well we can't go after Kirk Cousins because then that would mean Teddy's gone that would be a a massive stretch and you mentioned a couple other teams who may be sitting on a lot of money teams like the Jets and the Browns if you're Kirk Cousins think about what you've gone through in Washington in recent years setting aside the organizational stuff that we can get into because I think that this ties to the broader quarterback market and Jimmy Garoppolo and everything else you've seen. Even setting aside the Redskins' refusal to make a reasonable offer relative to the marketplace, again, because your value is not just, okay, well, you slot in. You're the 10th you're the best quarterback. You need to be the 10th highest paid. That's not how it works. If you're a good quarterback, you're going to be the highest paid guy. might be for a day. It might be for a year, but you're going to be the highest paid guy. It was the fact that defensively, They had a lot of deficiencies. They were having to win a lot of games scoring in the 30s. You had all of his receivers from two years ago when he had a very good season, Kirk Cousins did, leave. All of a sudden, it's okay, let's try to ramrod in Terrell Pryor. 
And let's try to get more out of Josh Doxson, who showed flashes of what he potentially can be. But Pierre Garçon was gone. Deshaun Jackson was gone. Jordan Reed always seems to miss time with injuries every year. He had a lot of different challenges. If I'm Kirk Cousins, I can go to the Vikings and play with one of the best defenses in the entire NFL. And I got Dalvin Cook and Latavius Murray and Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs and Kyle Rudolph and a pretty good offensive line. Or I can go to Cleveland, where granted, they got a ton of resources there. They've rebuilt their brain trust with a bunch of guys who used to be in Green Bay. Their scouting staff is much stronger now. They got five picks in the first two rounds. They got a, you know, I don't even know what their cap space is, but I know it's a, a massive number. But you still, you're a ways away. You got to be the guy who brings it there as opposed to the guy who fills that last piece. Same thing with the Jets. They're in a rebuilding process. They they won some games last year, but are you really that close? The Vikings are much closer. Can they pay the same number? And is being paid the same number the most important thing for Kirk Cousins? So, so I mean, obviously, you know, I'll just take Washington compared to Minnesota. Washington's a Ford Focus. Minnesota's a Ferrari. With the defense, with Adam Thielen, Stephon Diggs. So when you loop in Except some that of the these, guy with the Ford Focus might have a lot more money in the bank. But that's go on. The, but that's the question. Do you want to get paid more to drive a crappier vehicle? And then let's come back with this. Would Kirk Cousins take less money, perhaps, if the Vikings say, listen, we've got about five guys we want to re-sign. You know, Stefan Diggs' contract is coming up. We can't pay you what two or three other teams can pay you, but we can offer you the better infrastructure. How likely is it that Kirk Cousins would take less money to play for the Vikings? Mackie and Judd with Tom Pelissero. The Mackie and Judd Show rolls on. Now's the time to whip it out. On 1500 ESPN. Kick off your running season with 1500 ESPN at Twin Cities and Motions Hot Dash 5K and 10 Mile. It's Saturday, March 24th. Bring your lumberjack best to this Minnesota-themed event. It features a top 10 U.S. post-race beer garden, live DJ, photo booth, activities for all ages, plus hot dish and, of course, beer from Summit Brewing Company. Registration is open now. All runners will receive a Storm Creek long-sleeve quarter-zip technical pullover. All the details are at 1500ESPN.com. Keyword, events. Come on! Football! Football. We'll dive into uh, some twins speculation at the top of the hour and check in Fort Myers in about 25 minutes with Derek Wetmore. Tom Pelissero from NFL Network is in for Judd today. Judd's on vacation providing hockey takes from last night's wild game via the Juddbot 3000, which we will continue to sprinkle in. But we got on this Vikings quarterback thread, and we can go back to it later too. But Tom, on Kirk Cousins... I could almost like I could argue both sides. I could argue that he's a top seven or eight quarterback just as easily as I could argue. I don't know. There's question marks, and I wouldn't. I, I think he's more representative of a league average quarterback. I could say, you know, the past three years, if you just take basic passer rating and you rank quarterbacks the last three years using basic passer rating, he's sixth, and the other five guys are headed to the Hall of Fame, and so he's in that company. I could also tell you, you know what, on third down, he's not very good. And if you watch some of the film, he tends to spaz out and throw bad interceptions about, or at least tries to, about 10 or 12 times per season. He's cut that down substantially. But but then you could Early argue... Early in his career, the turnovers were certainly a big part of who he was. Right, but then you could argue, and there was a great Sports Illustrated piece that came out in like November or December, kind of detailing his work ethic behind the scenes, how obsessed he is with different areas of off-the-field peak performance, brain coach, things like that. He's kind of a junior Tom Brady in that regard. So, two-part question again. 
what do the smart people around the league think of Kirk Cousins? Is he more like the eighth best quarterback? Is he more like 15th? And do you think he would take less money if it came down to that to play for a better team, the Vikings, than, say, the Jets or a team that has no chance to make the playoffs or make a meaningful run? I haven't done a a survey recently uh, in terms of ranking the quarterbacks, so that would be hard for me to say. He is certainly regarded as a good, functional quarterback. People do not think that he's in that bottom category, category, the sub-top 20 guys who are just kind of there as a placeholder. He's shown that. I mean, you look at the productivity that he's had. You compare that to some of the best quarterbacks who have played in their first few years in terms of the raw numbers. He stacks up pretty well. There's always also a context around how does a quarterback play because, again, as we talked about in the last segment, who are his weapons? They turned over almost his entire receiving core after last season. They have not consistently had a run threat. They've cycled through a bunch of different backs. Their offensive line this past year was really beat up. And defensively, as much as they have tried to make investments into it, bringing in a Josh Norman, trying to get themselves something in terms of an edge presence, they still have a, a ways to go in that regard. And he's had to bear a lot on his shoulders. He threw the ball less last season. I mean, two years ago, he threw the ball 600 times. He threw it less this past season. But still, there was a lot on Kirk Cousins' shoulders. I'm not sitting here making excuses for him. I'm just saying when you look at it, it's not just as simple as, well, this guy's numbers are better than his and worse than his. It's also about... What are you surrounded with? I have talked to different people who have different opinions in terms of, is he a guy who is capable of consistently elevating the people around him? Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, the best quarterbacks are going to do that. They're going to make everybody around them better. Does Kirk Cousins do that all the time? Or is he somebody who is going to, to a degree, be as good as the parts around him help to make him? When you look at that, you'd look at the Vikings and say there'd be a lot of good parts on both sides of the ball that you could put around Kirk Cousins. I think that when it comes to would he take less money, you have to keep that in perspective here. We're not talking about he's going to do what Tom Brady did and take $17 million a year and be the 17th highest paid quarterback because Tom Brady's got modeling deals and watch deals and his wife makes more money than he does. And all he wants to do at this point is win championships because he's made plenty of money. He's 40 years old. He's motivated by one thing. It's not money. It's just how many rings can I possibly get? How can I continue to solidify that I'm the greatest quarterback who's ever played? With Kirk Cousins, he's made a lot of money over the last two years. I think he's made $44, 45000000 million on two franchise tags. It's amazing how like that's the, the, the gripe is you're, you're going to make $50 million over a couple of years, but it's still going to drive you crazy. That's first world problems, but yes. And Cousins have been fine with it. Just like when, you know, there's been speculations and reports, maybe the Redskins franchise him again. What would happen if they tag him? He'd go in there and sign it. $34 million or something? You're going to keep me as a $34 million backup quarterback? Yeah. And everybody, every other team would be going, you're going to keep him as a $34 million backup quarterback? Yeah, good luck. Yeah. With that, he's going to get paid. Kirk Cousins is going to get paid. It's a matter of how high do the numbers go. If we're talking about less money, loosely speaking, as... Taking twenty five million a year instead of twenty seven million dollars a year. You do it all year. day long, absolutely. All day long. Yeah, but if you would think that. But also, it's also about the guarantees. Correct. How are those structured? He wants a commitment. That's something the Redskins were never willing to make. The show last summer where Bruce Allen came out and released the details of the contract offer they had made, and it was the highest, the third highest paid, or second highest, whatever it was under these metrics. But then you looked at it, and you realized that they were including the $24 million that he was already going to get under the tag, and that they really were only committing to one year beyond that, 
There was no reason for Kirk Cousins to take that deal. And that's we can talk more later on in the show about just the quarterback market in general. But when you look at what the 49ers did with Jimmy Garoppolo, that was very much them looking at that situation saying, yeah, we could tag Garoppolo, make him play out a full season as a starter. We could tag him again. Or we could save ourselves the headache, pay like an $11 million premium, and buy up the next three years beyond that for a guy that we know is going to be, we believe is going to be transformative to our program. We're in Silicon Valley. We can sell so many jerseys and so many corporate sponsorships and everything else based on this guy. Why are we not just going to do that now and end the questions? That's what they were willing to do. The biggest question I would have is... If you're gonna pay, if you're gonna pay a guy average annual value, let's say among the top three highest paid quarterbacks in the league, which is how you know the salary cap keeps going up, and that's life in the NFL. Sure, are you able? Is that quarterback good enough, Kirk Cousins, to make that much money and still allow you to build out the rest of your roster? But let's get back to this later in the show. The Twins, they already have pitcher and catcher workouts starting today, and right now their number two starter because Irvin Santana is sidelined for a month and a half is Kyle Gibson. So the you know that we we can we can grind this pitcher discussion into dust, but there's one truth that the Twins should be aware of, whether whether they're the ones who are holding out on the uh, the contractual side or the other or the other five pitchers available. Let's talk about that when we come back here. Tom Pelissero in for Judd. It's Mackie and Jay.